On November 17th of 1978, a miracle happened. The Star Wars Holiday Special aired for its first and only time. It was a two-hour variety show, but with Star Wars! And the end result would be a mythical entry in Star Wars canon that people love to hate. This is Issue Zero, a show about the power of fandom and pop culture. And today we're breaking our own format a bit to give you our very own holiday special. As we sit down with our producer, Dila Velasquez, and make her watch Star Wars, the holiday special, for the very first time. We'll tear away the ratty wrapping paper and expose the Star Wars holiday special for what it truly is. A magnificent gift to the masses. The basic plot of the special involves Chewbacca and the rest of the cast trying to get to Chewbacca's home to celebrate Life Day, which is built around George Lucas's demand that the entire story be focused on Wookiees. In the documentary, From Star Wars to Jedi, packed with the initial VHS release of the trilogy in the 80s, Lucas says that the Ewoks were supposed to be Wookiees and that the battle in Return of the Jedi was intended to be in A New Hope. But due to budgetary constraints, he was forced to cut it from the screenplay, only to revisit it years later. Again, seeing it was too expensive to make the battle scene with Wookiees, he instead opted to use spear-wielding teddy bears, a.k.a. Ewoks. So, it's not a very hard leap to assume that he was trying to scratch that itch when it came to the holiday special. There's a lot of contradicting stories surrounding the special itself, and you can see a lot of them in a Vanity Fair article from December 2015 called The Han Solo Comedy Hour, written by Frank DiGiacomo. Uh, It's not even known who actually approached who about the idea. The most trusted version of events is that CBS contacted Lucas and he was adamant about Wookiees being the central focus and from there they moved on to hiring a showrunner. They actually hired writers like Bruce Valanche who went on to have a storied Hollywood writing career and he's been very open about discussing the ridiculous nature of the special. Now the first director of the special was a Canadian producer named David Akomba but he quit a few days into production Then they opted for Steve Binder. Now, this guy came prepared. He was given a Wookiee Bible from Lucasfilm detailing the ins and outs of Wookiee culture, and it was meant to be obeyed. Special effects legend Stan Winston was brought in. Uh, This was one of his first jobs in Hollywood, actually. Come showtime, November 17th, 1978, CBS bumped their lineup of The Incredible Hulk and Wonder Woman in favor of this visual spectacle. It was aired here in Canada at 7 p.m. on CTV for the first and only time, actually. The special has never officially been released, and it's never been officially recognized as part of canon either, but they've never said it's not Part of canon. They've just kind of distanced themselves from it. But, as we discuss later on, there are a few key components of the Star Wars Holiday Special that appear to have risen to the surface in recent months, specifically in the Disney Plus series, The Mandalorian. We'll get to that. It's not just the producers and the people behind it that have distanced themselves from it. That includes the cast. They've never mentioned it. It's really weird. It would take decades for anyone to not immediately shy away from the topic. Carrie Fisher also did an interview with the New York Times, uh, December 2016, and she claimed that she demanded a copy from Lucas in exchange for doing commentary on the DVD release. Harrison Ford has claimed publicly many times that he's never seen it. Even Mark Hamill, who is like the ultimate Star Wars cheerleader and all-around great dude, says he's never actually watched the whole thing. But I do know someone who has seen it and has seen it for the very first time. Our marvelous producer, Dila Velasquez. Now, Dila, I know you have a list of questions and concerns over the special, but firstly... Did you enjoy it? 
Maybe. Okay, did you, like, I'm legitimate, did you enjoy watching it? No. Okay, no, you didn't enjoy no, it? No, it was painful. It, it was, was really painful. No. I had to do it in two, two separate occasions. Like, I couldn't go through the whole thing in one sitting. You know, I do find that there is a point where it just really starts to drag. There is a point where it definitely starts to drag. And by the time you get to be Arthur, who is a delight, you do just kind of feel... I'm I'm done. When she's singing about closing the bar down, you're like, is it over? It Please felt over. It felt like closing time needed to come through. Okay. Like the song closing time. Now let's get into your list of questions. The because you were you were like texting me while you were watching this. As I was watching it, I did kind of like a, not like a live tweeting, but we had a Google Doc or a, yeah. a shared document. A shared document. A shar- shared document. Yeah. And uh, I uh, made you aware of it. And then I put my thoughts as I was watching it. And uh, it was mostly a lot of questions like, what? Okay. What is happening? Now, your first thing that you ask, you were confused by no yellow scroll. Star Wars Holiday Special, starring Mark Hamill as Luke Skywalker, Harrison Ford as Han Solo, Carrie Fisher as Princess Leia. Correct. That was my first thing immediately. Like, I, I being a Star Wars fan for so many years, I will say this, like, I also grew up, like, I'm not from Canada, so I didn't know culturally a lot of the Christmas specials that are, I guess, part of society during this time. Um, and I'm younger than you, I guess. Yeah, uh, so that's, that's there, very true. Yes, there is also that. So I, I guess my first, like initially, my first thing was obviously the no yellow scroll thing. Okay. As a Star Wars fan, that was a, a thing that kind of threw me. Well. For first of all, the Yellow Scroll, actually uh, inspired by the Buck Rogers and Flash Gordon serials, which played a large role in Star Wars' creation because initially George Lucas wanted to do Flash Gordon but couldn't get the rights. And that led to Star Wars. Uh, And those scrolls were created by a dude named Dan Perry. Um, And it was also based on ideas from Lucas working directly with him. But the Dan Perry story, this version of the story, which is the most common one you'll find on the internet, uh, says he suggested having the title scroll uh, go up to a vanishing point. And then this was actually filmed. Like there was a giant scroll. There was no special effects like that back then. So it was a giant scroll that they pulled back to a vanishing point. And because that's such a huge set piece of a shot... They did not have the space available them to them to do that for the holiday special. That is actually why. There is no scroll. That makes sense. And for anybody who's ever doing some hardcore trivia, the font is Helvetica Black, if you must know. I mean, it totally makes sense. Because yeah. obviously for TV, different budgetary needs. Like as someone who yeah. works on TV, I worked on TV, so like I, I, that totally makes sense. So it all came down to budget. That's why they did it. Now, the next thing, when is this taking place? <laughs> Why are Star Destroyers chasing Han and Chewie? Yeah, immediately, opening scene. If you haven't seen the Christmas special, please do watch it before like you sit down to listen to this. It's available. It's not canon, I guess. That's another thing. That We'll get to that, actually. We'll, get, we'll touch on I'm whether sure or not we'll it's canon. I'm sure we'll talk about all of that, but like it's, it's, it's hard to find, I guess we'll say that. Yeah. However, it is all readily available um, streaming. On uh, the YouTube on the, on the interwebs. Yeah. So you just need to kind of like Google for it and you'll find it. Now, this actually takes place after A New Hope, but before the Empire strikes back. And the Empire is chasing them because that's just what the Empire does. There's really no explanation. Okay, now I have so many more questions. Yeah. So, like, let's we should just kind of quickly kind of recap how it starts. It's yeah. just... Chewie and Han. In, who are delightful. In They're, every scene. Like you, that, I will say this, that is what's wonderful about watching this otherwise painful uh, bit of content is that the actors and the people who, are, who we know and recognize to this day as being absolutely wonderful are still absolutely wonderful whenever they come on screen. They are. Every single one of them. It's it's mind blowing. Like the second that they come on, you're immediately like, "Oh no, this is super familiar." However, I will say this: 
I can't really remember the order of. Oh, do they? Does it start with the two of them in the yes. Millennium Falcon, and then the it cuts to the weird? We're opener. gonna get to that. Okay, cool, cool, cool. You got to stop getting ahead of us, Dealey. You know what? You're blowing through all the stop signs here. Now, you got a question. What is Life Day? Life Day is made up holiday. Supposed to be like Christmas. Involves decorating a tree. Legit. Uh, the Wookies gather around the Tree of Life which is supposedly the first tree and beginning of all life on their planet of Kashyyyk or Kazook, whatever. Uh, supposedly, in in lore, all life comes from the tree of life, and so the Wookiees will feast, celebrate, and spend time with their friends, family, and loved ones. Now, this is another question you get to uh, about the title cards. But, however, yeah. the tree of life and whatever you're talking about, this... That you see at the end of the special. Exactly. It doesn't, spoiler alert, uh, they don't, it's not front loaded. So you, they're just expecting you to go along with this, even though there is no. It's like the Matrix. It's like the Matrix. And here's why it's like the, it's like the Matrix because they make you build questions so that when they do the reveal of the answers, you're excited. The only thing that makes it not like the Matrix is they never actually show you what the tree of life is. They all walk into a magic portal wearing wearing cloaks at the end and are in like it negative space. Very Stanley Kubrick. It is it is a wild show, guys. It's a wild show. So you ask a question, and this is all in caps, which is my favorite thing about it. It's like the only caps question you have. What are those title cards with the photos of the actors and who they are playing? This is goes back to the whole Christmas special idea. And I think that a lot of times people crap on the holiday special without taking into account when it was made and the way things work when it was made. Because it's all about efficiency. You've got to remember... The special came out a full year after A New Hope. So it goes into the theaters the previous summer. Then there's nothing. And this is 1978. So there's no retail home video market. There's no rentals. Not many people at all have VCRs or Betamax machines. It's not been released on any of them. The only way you would have seen anything to do with Star Wars or the actors involved is to have watched it in the theater or to have seen their multiple appearances on talk shows. And it was actually their their levity on these talk show appearances, which led to the production of the special. Um, but... So you've got this special about a movie that came out a year ago that was like a one-off movie, and then they do a holiday special where they're building on all this canon. So for most people, they hadn't even seen Star Wars. So showing a picture of the actors and the name of the characters is a very, very efficient way of bringing the audience in right away. Like in radio, we call it resetting the stage. I think they call it like that in everything. But you reset the stage. So anyone who's not aware... Yeah, you catch everyone yeah, up. Yeah, like, everyone's this is, caught up. This guy is playing Han. This guy is playing... This thing is chewy. If I mean, I'm just assuming if you've never seen Star Wars. This thing is lumpy. Yeah, okay. Chewy son. We get to this. Yeah, whoa, whoa, whoa. We're introducing everyone, including Chewbacca's family in the title scenes. Chewy's son is called Lumpa. Lumpy. Yes. Lumpy. Okay. This is interesting. Chewie's son is called Lumpy, uh, and his dad is called Itchy. They have since had their names retconned to be like Lumpa Wapumpa Bump or like an Itchy Tchuchuka. I had it written down somewhere, but I forget where it is right now. But it doesn't matter. Lucas went in after the fact and cleaned up the names. There's also a big argument as to who named them because Paul Valanche. Uh, who was one of the writers of the special, like legendary Hollywood writer, um, Bruce Valanche, sorry. Bruce Valanche. Bruce Valanche, sorry. Um, Bruce Valanche says, it was Lucas that named him. And this is a common thread with this special. Lucas is blaming like multiple people for it being the way it is. And all of these people consistently say, no, man, he was aware of everything we were doing. The wildest thing that you just kind of like blew my just whole life on is that is Bruce, Bruce Valanche wrote this. He's one of the head writers but at the time Bruce Valanche wasn't Bruce Valanche. For sure. Bruce Valanche uh, was a guy who was actually got his break because he was friends with Bette Midler and he actually worked with her on her off-Broadway stuff and then got into writing TV. So yes, Bruce Valanche the Bruce Valanche was one of the head writers on this. Now Lumpy is played by Patty Maloney. She's still alive, by the way. Patty Maloney, she's 83 years old, 3 foot, 11 inches tall. She's a little person. And she's had 
a very storied career in Hollywood. She was actually ready for some trivia. She was okay. the puppeteer on Tales from the Crypt for the Crypt Keeper. How's that? That's pretty dope. That is pretty dope. That's very. great. Um, and yes, it is unfortunate that he has a son named Lumpy. Uh, and I actually, when I wrote this script for this, I said, this is what happens when comedy writers get involved. And then after the fact, I'm like, Bruce Valanche does this big interview in Vanity Fair magazine in 2015 being like, oh, no, we didn't name him Lumpy and Itchy. That was Lucas that did that. And that's a consistent motif is he's trying to throw them under the bus. And you've got a, like a list of like 20 people saying that's not what happened. Regardless. Yes, B. Arthur, Diane Carroll are in this. Okay. I will say this. When I saw them coming through on those opening title cards, I was like, cool, I'm in. Strap me in. I am here for them. I yeah. love them. By the way, we've only made it as far as, as the credits. Old credits. We're at the credits at this point. Like, we need to speed this up. Okay. We're going to talk more about Diane Carroll and B. Arthur, so we'll come back to that. Um, the holiday special. Like, you, you mentioned this a second ago, talking about how uh, it could be a generational cultural thing. Holiday specials. So... Holiday specials uh, are sort of like the last dying branch of an old tree. When TV first started broadcasting years ago, like pre-World War II, variety shows were the staple. Variety shows were like the bread and butter of the television industry. And they would be all sponsored by like big sponsors. So you'd have like... like Colgate, Brady yeah, Theo, whatever. Yeah, the, no, I remember... Like, the I Texaco remember, Theater Hour, for you sure. know? So they all came from that, but they started to die off following the war. They actually started putting together like sitcoms and TV shows and holiday specials were the one thing that really endured at this point um but at, at, like holiday specials even then were mostly parodied do you know what i mean it was comedians making fun yeah, of yeah like the they're old... like like pantomimes yeah. so they were, got it but like the probably the most famous would be SNL uh, they did a whole episode, It's Christmas, Damn It, and it was a big variety show spoof, uh, broadcast in December of 1982. Eddie Murphy was playing Gumby. It's one of my favorite things that's ever been on television. And there's a lot of parts that may be offsides by today's standards, but Eddie Murphy, comedic legend, uh, and I'd encourage everyone to watch. And I know that you're a Julie Louis-Dreyfus fan. Sure am. Who isn't? Mm-hmm. When she plays Marie Osmond and starts making out with Joe Piscopo, who's playing her brother, Donnie well, Osmond, it's seems, hilarious. That just seems like another Christmas special. I yes. Guess, a parody Christmas special. That we'll, do that watch now. we'll do Perfect. that next year. We'll do that. That's what we'll do next we'll year. We'll do that next year. We'll get Eddie Murphy on. It'll be fantastic. Um, now, the budget. You ask, um, what's the budget for this thing? Who produced it? Well, the budget was actually really big. That's the thing that people don't realize. And when you watch it, you might think that it's hokey, but there's so many moving parts to this. I will say this. it. I mean, we haven't gotten to that part yet, but where they do the the acrobat scene, there's a lot of it that you can feel like that money was spent on it. Yeah. Oh, but, we're, gonna, we're touching on that. I just feel like maybe the execution of where that money went is kind of my problem with it. But like there are there are certain key moments that are actually quite wonderful, but the stuff in between is just oh the filler. It, the fill it's so difficult to get through. It is it is, but you could get away with that at that time because you gotta remember that captive audience that TV had. Like, there was no, no one was leaving the TV to go play video games. No one was leaving the TV. Like, no one was checking their checking phone. Checking their phones. Like, you're a captive and you're in it. And I will say this, but without having that, this is so much more painful. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Because we're, like, watching it going, what, Googling, like, facts about the well, show. No, like, as I was watching it through those moments that I just wanted to throw my laptop across the room that's when I just brought out my phone and tried to like keep myself sane because those moments in between are so absolutely painful like watching Lumpy like I'm sorry we're gonna get into it we, are like, get, we just have get to into get Lumpy into it right now he's your like, new Jar Jar you said Yes. I mean, I think the biggest problem is that the open, like the first 15 minutes of this Christmas special is just nonsensical growling and yipping. Yeah. They're trying to get, I mean, Wookiees are not the most vocal and verbal <laughs> species in Star Wars. And you're expecting them to get, to carry a plot and carry story. And that, I think, is the biggest problem. I can defend this. 
I can defend it. Here's why I'll defend it. I I will I'll die on the hill for the holiday special. I will. 100% I will. I will. Um if you want to murder me over it, you can. <laughs> but I, I, I kind of get into it with the facts. Like like we're talking about people are on their phones. Uh, people aren't on their phones. There's no video games, etc. And you have to build a show like this for a full family audience. And at that time, those special effects were like cutting edge. And I think that's pulling in little kids. And I can guarantee that there were a bunch of little kids that watched this holiday special, watched Lumpy, and empathized with him to the point that... When Empire landed in theaters two years later, they went. I know, I know that, like, it's trite. Like, I look at The Last Jedi and I think that it's trite and ridiculous. It's a very campy version of what Star Wars is to me. But when I watched The Last Jedi with my kids, they loved it. They loved every second. And they love BB-8, even though both of you and I agree R2-D2 is the best. But I think it's a generational thing. I think if but you watch this as a is, child... No, I, I would, uh, here's where I counter that, is that BB-8, R2-D2, the droids usually have a vocal, either hum- humanoid character beside them that helps explain what they're saying, you helps could, them communicate. Totally. The problem is, is that for 15 minutes of this, if this special, there's absolutely no real communication other than miming and grunting. Okay. You're and not, thus, not very like easy to, to listen to. By the way, you are in the exact same boat as the writers because the writers also hated it. And uh, George Lucas was adamant that this be about Wookiees. And aside from that opening with Han and Chewie, there's no dialogue until almost 13 minutes into yeah, it. Yeah, 15 minutes. But absolutely painful. you can tell what the Wookiees are saying. Like, you got to wash the dishes. I don't want to wash the dishes. Go outside and yeah, be suicidal on the banister in our tree fort. That's wild. Yeah, totally wild, which I know that that might be a little bit inside. But if you've seen it, there's this scene where you're watching. Lumpy, like, is, literally, okay, let's is Lumpy going to jump off the Lumpy edge Lumpy goes here? on a banister. That's and hundreds start, of feet up. That is incredibly high. Yes. And is just balancing like he's on a balance beam and spinning and doing jumps and then they cut to a different scene. I'm yeah. not even kidding. Just I just jump thought, cut. Like when they jump cut to the different scene, I thought, Lumpy fell. Yeah, like, Lumpy. This is Off camera, he fell. And that led to Astar from the Planet Danger. That's where the inspiration <laughs> for that PSA that we all loved as children came from. Now, I did, I did write this down. Um, Mark Hamill... He's never looked prettier in his whole life. Like, the first time you see Mark Hamill is the 13-minute mark, and he is looking so pretty. The white eyeliner is his makeup. He looks great. And, of course, it's the first scene with R2-D2, so I was in heaven. And this, I did some research on this because uh, Mark Hamill got in a motorcycle accident, and, like, if you read the interviews, it is a pretty, it wasn't a motorcycle, a car accident. Is it a car accident or a motorcycle? I don't know. He got in a car accident, vehicular accident in LA, and he had to have reconstructive surgery. Apparently, they had to take flesh from his ear and put it on his nose. Like, he was, he's very honest about it. He mangled himself up. And I thought this must have been filmed before because if you look at his face in Empire and you look at his face in A New Hope, he looks dramatically different. But no. He actually got in that infamous car accident in January 77, which was actually before A New Hope was even released. So this is some great TV makeup. I don't know how they yeah, did it. He like is whoever, pretty. Whoever was yeah. in charge of his hair and makeup. He, he looks great. He looks tanned. Like he just looks relaxed. It's the best he's ever looked. Oh, he's beautiful. He's beautiful. He really looks great. Um, okay, now this is my favorite thing that you bring up. You mentioned... Uh, yeah, we hologram. mentioned it briefly. So, lump. Okay, but let's be honest. This special should be called Wookiees Watching Stuff. Yes, it definitely. There is a lot of watching. In all fairness, because that is how they transition between those like key moments that I think I mentioned earlier, which is what makes the special great. Yeah, is like those great scenes. And it's basically tied together through Wookiees watching stuff in about a billion different platforms. Oh, they've got the the, like they, like the Dajaric we, board is now a TV. Like when, like we. Ooh, listen to oh. that! Oh, this music is incredible. Could you imagine seeing this on TV? Just listen to those effects. 
Okay, you're not describing what's happening. Well, we don't need... Listen, the theater of the mind listening to that music is even better than what's actually happening. There's just... He's in front of the Dejaric board, which is the chessboard from Star Wars A New Hope, which is the only other time that you've seen it. Like, if you hadn't seen it in theater, you'd be, what is this? And he's watching these little holographic acrobat guys go around and do routines. And it's... It's like a real Cirque du Soleil I was about... When I watched this uh, with my buddy Jay Torres, who's a comp book creator for, like, Oni Press and DC and stuff, he actually said, he goes, I'm confident that the people that created Cirque du Soleil were heavily inspired by that acrobat scene. It's... it's, I've seen every single Cirque du Soleil show basically ever, and that's exactly what I thought of. Like, this is Wookiee Cirque du Soleil in your own living room, which is actually really cool. And I think the special effects to put it together was kind of amazing. Like, there, this thing had a million dollar budget, which in 1978 dollars is like 400 billion dollars. So that's very expensive. I don't know if my mathematical figures are no, correct. That was, but it was really scientific. It was very, very expensive at the time. Um, so... They just have access to R2-D2 and Luke? Yeah, like so like, I, I think this is one of my biggest problems. It's back to, my that's my biggest problem with this whole special, is the fact that they're tying these pieces together by them just, like, they, okay, so you told me that this, this is where it's, like, I'm going to get so mad. You told me that this happened when again in the Star Wars universe? Between A New Hope and Empire Strikes Back. So they're on the run. Yeah. Not really. The, the Empire just got dealt a big blow. The The Rebellion is sort of like regrouping, but they're on the run from a vengeful Empire. Yeah, the Empire still yeah. continues to 100%. be the Empire, and they're still the Rebels. Yeah, but Kazook is, a, is, a, is an Imperial-occupied planet, and so you've got Han and Chewie trying to get back to his home, which is difficult because the Empire is there, and they're Rebels. Again, you know this only because you've like watched more than... Sorry, more than half of the of the special. At the beginning, they don't set this up. Yeah, they don't set this up at all. You're just like, well, you, they're kind of putting you in a position where you've got to just assume Empire bad after them, and he's got to get home to his home planet. Sure, but you don't know this about Kazook as a planet. No. Being they, Empire They run. mentioned Kazook briefly, and it's only mentioned verbally. It's not written anywhere, so you've got to be paying attention to catch that detail. Sure, like in between grunts of those 15, 20 minutes Possibly. of bookies. Yeah. So then basically... So Okay, so this is happening when it's an Empire-run planet. Planet, yeah. And these Wookies seem to just have access to all of the rebels in like snap of their fingers. Yeah, the TV is really used as a big like plot it's, mover. The TV is the only real connector and through line between all of these different scenes. And so behind one of the cabinets, they seem to a have liquor a, cabinet. a liquor cabinet. <laughs> yeah. They seem to have access to Luke, who just blew up the Death Star like a minute ago, yeah. if this is the case. And easily accessible accessible well because chewbacca's buddies with luke so he's got that direct connect it's the bat phone if you notice the liquor cabinet screen the liquor cabinet screen is the one that they use to talk to the rebels whenever they're talking to the rebels they go through the liquor cabinet screen and then they've got the big screen in the living room that's the one that's and the that's empire. the public and that's the empire issues all their commands through like, I know that I go into a lot of things. Like, let's not even talk about the Bantha Meal child. Oh, like we're going to get there. Are we? Because we are. I hated that. We scene. have to talk about it for a few reasons. Now, well, moving forward, because from, uh, the, from the Wookiee household, from Chewbacca's home, we go into a shop. And here's your question. Why are we in a shop? This just looks like a bunch of sketches barely threaded together. That is exactly what a holiday special is, without even knowing it. You summed it up perfectly, and I have to talk about it um, because I thought Art Carney was great. I thought he was fantastic in this. Like He felt like an actual Star Wars character. Him and B. Arthur are the best things about this special. Uh, Art Carney, uh, great actor, uh, actually decorated for bravery and being injured in combat during the Second World War. And uh, I will defend Art Carney, and that... Is and, it, he's from the Carol Burnett show, correct? No, no, no. That's no? Harvey Korman. Who, okay, sorry. Who, who was Julie? Ch- Art Carney was in the Honeymooners, uh, and right. he was in a whole bunch of other movies. But what I love about this scene is it shows you're getting a taste of what really makes the special good is how terrifying the Imperials are. Wait, in this so are special. we talking? Is this the Julia Child scene? No, this is, is this a scene the... in the shop where right. Art Carney is like working for the rebels, and he tells. Nala or Lala or whatever Chewbacca's wife's name is. Oh, the the hand 
she made she made that shaggy rug for you by hand. You could say she did it solo. Yeah, Kay. I will say this. That is the one thing about the special that's absolutely fantastic. Is the r- Way more than any of the other Iterations. Star Wars, any Star Wars iterations for that matter, yeah. except maybe Clone Wars, is the fact that you get a sense of how scary and actually terrifying the Empire can be. And like, the guy I- just like takes something out of the store and he's like, just takes it. He's like, I'm not paying, I'm not trading, I'm taking it. And then Art Carney's left being like, oh, cool, I was going to give it to you. I didn't want to make you feel embarrassed. But throughout, but I'm going to say this, every time that the Empire actually shows up and interacts with anybody else. It's scary. It's scary. We're going to get on that. Okay. We're going to touch on that because there's a big scene with the Imperials that's I think legitimately good. And you said you don't want to talk about the Bantha Meal cooking show. And I also want to mention Harvey Corman because I love Harvey Corman. He was the voice of the Great Kazoo on the Flintstones. Uh, the Carol Burnett show was him and Carol Burnett. Like, And I will always say the Carol Burnett show is one of the most overlooked comedy shows of all time. And it's always getting overpassed and overlooked by things like the Laugh-In and Saturday Night Live. But really... It is worthy of its place in TV history, and Harvey Corman especially, because there was a huge role in that. Harvey Corman, Carol Burnett, I love them. They're great. I mean, I'm not fighting with you Good. on that, on Carol Burnett, but Good. I will fight you on Oh, yeah, it's that terrible. It, it's terrible. I mean, that was one scene that you could have just cut. Mm-hmm. That it was just, it felt like filler. Of course, it is. It's all filler. I know, but like, if today, if I could do like a, a super cut of the Christmas special, I would trim that. Okay, let's get Topher Grace on the line. You and him can uh, put together your own secret edit and put it on the internet and then deny you ever did it. Done. Um, how much of this footage is recycled from the movie? A lot of it is. Uh, and again, we go back to the time that this was made. People would not have seen, unless you saw it in the movie, this the movie theater, this would all be new. And, and I think that's fine. I mean... You've just got to have a little bit of an understanding of the media landscape in 1978. And a lot of this stuff that's happening makes way more sense. You know? I mean, does it? Yes. It just feels like a poorly constructed story. I think that's really... It is a poorly constructed... But that's really at the core with the problem that I have with this special. And also, I I gotta say, if we're gonna get into the VR with Diane... Diane Carroll is incredible. We're gonna get to that. Now, like, okay, listen... We got to talk a little bit about, if you want to talk about the poorly constructed nature of this special, a lot of it comes and falls on George Lucas's shoulders. Now, the way this special came to exist, into existence, there's, there's a few different versions, but the most consistent version is, is that CBS contacts Lucasfilm. The head of Lucasfilm marketing gets in touch with George Lucas who is in the process of moving Lucasfilm to a new location. And George Lucas is like, sure, we'll do it. Fine, get it done. And I think at that point, Lucas kind of realizes this is a TV budget and it's a variety show and it's not really what I wanted to do. Now, if you understand the nature of the very first Star Wars movie, A New Hope, initially there was a massive battle with Wookiees in it, but they couldn't do it because of budgetary reasons. And if you actually read the Star Wars comic from Dark Horse, they, which is a comic book adaptation of the original screenplay, they break it all down. It's The art is fantastic. The story is a, it's a little bit rough. And it's kind of a good thing they got rid of that Wookiee battle. But you've got Wookiees on the mind with George Lucas. And so I feel like he threw this idea, it's got to be about Wookiees out, to make sure that it became so impossible to do that they would pull the pin. And I think what ended up happening was is you had a massive battle of chicken with this special of George Lucas making demands and CBS being like, well, we're already in. Let's just do it. And that's what led to this ridiculous concept of a holiday special. I'm going to break it down a little bit more in the closing, but that's my theory and I'm sticking to it. All right? right? It's mine. Um, Now, this part I cannot disagree with at all. Itchy, Chewbacca's dad, gets a VR machine, and it's like porn VR, and he puts it on in the living room. I mean, And Diane, Diane, hold on, Diane Carroll is his fantasy, and so she, he puts this thing on, and then there's crystals floating around as the, the VR machine finds his ideal fantasy. And then his ideal fantasy is Diane Carroll, who looks 
stellar and sounds stellar. She's incredible. Totally. A, 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 a friend of ours said that he would love to have that recreated with, um, with Janelle Monet in the Star Wars universe today. And you know what? Yes. I, I guess it, it'd be great to have Janelle Monet in there. Like, it would be lovely to have those moments but in Star so, Wars now because they don't exist anymore, they really. They don't. But it, the thing is, is... is It's very action-heavy. It, no, it's... No, yes. But that scene is incredibly problematic. Oh, 100%. <laughs> so, no. And I don't see Janelle Monet jumping on board to do No, that but it'd be lovely to have a character like that Who's, played by Janelle Monet okay. in Star Wars I'm, somewhere. 100%. Get her in there. But just not how this was executed. Yeah. So he's got this porn machine on, and there's sparkles going around. I am your ultimate fantasy. And then she's like, I think you're cute. And he starts rewinding and fast-forwarding it of her talking about how good-looking he is. And then he's in the living room. He's in the living room. Doing this. He's rubbing one out, which makes me wonder about the nature of the Wookiee penis. Like, is it like a red rocket, like a dog? And I guarantee, I guarantee George Lucas has thought about this and he's he's got an answer for the question. And I say that because George Lucas thought about what kind of underwear people wore in space. He's got an answer. Like he knows the mating habits of Wookiees. He could break down biologically what happens in this scene, all of it. All I know is that the whole time I was watching that scene, I was like, I am truly very much uncomfortable yeah. with the scene. You're watching your granddad get a right stiff one in the living room like in front of everyone. For as much as Diane Carroll is absolutely incredible yes. in it, that scene is so uncomfortable. Imagine to watch. at Christmas you watch your dad open like a box of DVD pornos. That's the equivalent of this. This is from the Wikipedia, by the way. Uh, Diane Carroll, she plays the holographic wow known as Mermedia. The subject of Adichuk's sexual fantasies in the Star Wars Holiday Special. That's the re, the the retconning of the name. Atichuk is, I guess, his name instead of just itchy. itchy. And <laughs> this is a great question from you. Why did she see say yes to this? What was the pitch like? There's not a lot of info out there about the pitch. But she had just been nominated for Best Actress at the Oscars two years before signing on to this movie. Uh, in the movie Claudine, by the way. Uh, so I'm just going to imagine that she was very well paid to be in this show as a Wookiee's sexual fantasy. I mean, she's incredible. So oh, I can see why. Totally. Totally worth it. And that dress. Mamma mia. No, she looks incredible. Me she's absolutely gorgeous. I watched this with my friends and it turned into like a big conversation of, uh, we were talking about Charo after this. Like that whole era yeah, of. Yeah, it was a very. Sassy, like, sexy, sexy singer ladies. Yes. Yeah. Sexy times. Like cabaret style singers that really. And she's like, not wearing underwear. You know she's not wearing underwear because George Lucas said there's no underwear in space. So think about that. That adds to the creepiness now. Uh, all I know is that it was really uncomfortable to watch. Mm. Okay. Princess Leia, cold as ice. Yeah, that's, that's what I said. Yeah, that is what you say. Uh, because, by the way, we jumped from this very uncomfortable, <laughs> sexy VR porno situation into suddenly, again, back at the liquor cabinet? The liquor cabinet phone. To talk yes. to, hey, oh no, a phone call comes in. Comes in, which, by the way, like... Horrible spy machine if it's ringing yeah. in the liquor cabinet. Like, there's no system. This no. Is, like This is my biggest problem. Again, I hate this special because of the giant plot holes. But anyways, um, the, the call comes in and Princess Leia has absolutely no time for Chewie's family. He's like, is anybody there? Like, let me talk to anybody that's not you. Okay. And then she talks to Art Carney, by the way. Who just but, randomly shows up. He, he ran. He delivered oh, no, he's the, the porno one, machine. Yeah, he shows up with he all He delivered the-, the porno machine and the the Jefferson Starship machine, which we'll talk about in a minute. I skipped that altogether. Okay. we're got, it, There's some interesting tidbits about this, but... If you watch that scene closely, and this is me trying to justify to you why Princess Leia is angry. If you watch closely, there is an unplugged electric typewriter just sitting on the desk, and the cord is just hanging off the desk. You can see it, okay? An electric typewriter. So, 
Maybe at this point she's just annoyed that the rebellion can't afford to get her a laptop and she's really just second-guessing her choices in life. That's why she could be angry at this point. I actually feel like Princess Leia and Carrie Fisher know that this, that she is being forced to be part of something so dumb. Like, knowing how good she is at writing and how good she became at, like, at scripting and all that stuff, you know that she's like, this is trash and so I will be method <laughs> yeah and bring all of that anger to like get out of the way Chewbacca people get and get Wookies. me they're called Wookies no because she really just wants to talk to Han yeah yeah now that's really what she's after uh Carrie Fisher actually had an official remastered copy of the holiday special one of the few people that have it and she if you read her autobiography the reason she got it was that was her sole demand for payment to do the commentary on the DVD release in the early 2000s. And whenever she was holding a party and wanted everyone to leave, she would put it in. And she goes, within an hour, everyone would just be out of the house. That's a true story. That's you know, For a Carrie Fisher fan, for, I had that for you. That for is, you. That is such a special treat. Okay. And uh, I love Carrie Fisher. And that's another reason why. How can you not? That's, How can you it's not? It's brilliant because she knows this is such garbage. If, Everyone knew. Exactly. <laughs> Everyone I, I mean, I yeah. had heard it was terrible until I was forced to watch it for this thing. Okay, this was your idea? Just saying that? It okay. really was. I hate myself. Regardless <laughs> of how trash this is, one thing is for sure, Han and Chewie are incredible. They look like they're on it. And they are. I've, I got 100% agree with this. Harrison Ford is just so effortless as Han Solo. It's legendary. I know that you love Carrie Fisher. And, uh, like, I'm trying to... I'm articulating your feelings for Carrie Fisher. That's how I feel about Harrison Ford. Like, as Han Solo, just everything about it is just... He he doesn't even try... It really is effortless. That that He's, he's rough around the edges. He's every, dashing. The every smirk, choice. Also, oh. every single... Cho- that's, why when you, that's why when they come on the screen and you just see them, it's like, why are we even... You just want to fast forward through all of the other bits just to get to these great scenes with the characters that we love because the second they come on screen, every choice is absolutely perfect. They, well, they are the role, you know? They just do it right. Okay. <laughs> See, what are you? <laughs> your next question. Confession, I skipped the Jefferson Starship section. How long is this thing? Did time stop? It, this is when I really, this is when I had to take a break because I yes. couldn't do it anymore. So it what really happens painful. is we, we mentioned the Empire showing up and we're going to talk about that in a second. But, the the Empire shows up at Chewbacca's house. Chewbacca's not there. And they're like, we know that there's an adult male Wookiee that lives here. Where is he? And they begin searching. And it really has a very Gestapo feel, which we're going to get into in a minute or two. Um, and they've got this device that's like a little virtual reality theater, sort of like the Dejaric board, except you open it up and then there's a little rock band inside. And it's Jefferson Starship playing. A, and it's so out of place. Like, that's the thing is, up until this point, the Diane Carroll thing, it fits because she starts out as this holographic program that finds your fantasy. The little acrobats fit because that's something a little kid would watch. But is Chewbacca's wife a Jefferson Starship fan? Like, where did this come from? Now, it's kind of um, upsetting because Jefferson Starship is sort of like the the afterbirth of Jefferson Airplane. And Jefferson Airplane was a fantastic band, groundbreaking in the psychedelic era. Uh, and, like, Jefferson Starship is just like the uber-commercialized version of it. And Marty Balin, lead singer, uh, who had just kind of rejoined with Jefferson Airplane, he filmed this scene with the band in October. But before it aired, at the end of November, he had already left. He had left the band in between. They recorded the scene, and there was a big legal dispute over whether or not they could air it. And then everyone just agreed, and it went to air. So that's the only that's the only thing of note. I mean, they should not have agreed. They should not have. Uh, <laughs> is it the worst? It's all bad. It's all bad. I, um, it was just by that point, I just couldn't do it. Um, I mean, I, did, I take I took a break, and then I came back, and that's when the second part happened. You, okay, you say how many screens do these Wookies own? Yeah. It is foretelling. You say how this is weirdly foretelling, and it is because if you look at a home now, your 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 phone, your 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 iPad, your laptop, you're surrounded by screens all the time, and that's what they've got in this Wookiee household. That, I, that is actually one of the big takeaways that I had from this is like 
the way that the Wookiees deal with the content, which is what we are end up basically watching, it's kind mm-hmm. of like from the POV of the Wookiees, is very similar to how we would do it. Because you would go from your laptop to the TV to your phone, back to your tablet, back to something else. And it's essentially what they're doing, except the content that they're watching is what we're having to watch. And it's not great. It's not great to watch people watch stuff. No, But the next part actually is amazing. Like, oh. this is the highlight of the whole thing. Okay, there's this really weird scene where all of a sudden the Empire is ransacking the house and Lumpy, the kid, puts on this little screen and he's it's so meta because he's watching an animated TV show about his dad and all the other Star Wars characters and it's like, you ask a good question, who made this cartoon about his dad is this real? Would the Empire allow this? Is it propaganda for the rebels? And so... I mean, in the story of the world... Like, I understand... I mean, you mentioned this this animated bit in, in the, Mandalorian the Mandalorian episode. Because yeah. this is the first time that we get to see one of... It's actually... You know what? The special is worth watching. Just for that. If nothing else, for this animated portion of, of the special, which is absolutely brilliant. Now, the original idea was they wanted it to be inspired by Mobius, the French artist. Uh, it was animated by Nelvana Studios here in Canada, owned by Chorus. But bing and um, they they did a fantastic job. It's so stylized. It's the, gorgeous. The, the shots are really good. It's Everything about it is great. And what's interesting about this is the initial appearance of Boba Fett had him carrying a trident. And then in the cartoon, which was the first broadcast appearance, because this appearance of Boba Fett was just in a parade where he's mm-hmm. carrying a trident. Yep. In the cartoon, he's carrying the same rifle that you actually see in uh, the TV show, the Amban battle rifle, which is like, it, it disintegrates people. And that's the battle rifle that you see in the Mandalorian TV show. His which, entrance is incredible. Oh, he's it, so great. And John Favreau, like, openly admit admits that he loved the special because of that as a kid. And that special served as a prime example of how he used inspiration to make the show. I mean, it, you can see it. Yeah. Having watched The Mandalorian and having watched the special and, and that particular scene is absolutely, like, the greatest thing. So you see Boba Fett on the back of this space dragon thing, mm-hmm. and you see him smack the dragon with the rifle, and it electrocutes him, exactly like in the very first scene of The Mandalorian when he stabs the big Tuscan thing that comes out of the water, and he stabs it with the bolt rifle. And it gets electrocuted. Like, it's so identical to the the show. It's really, really, again, please, if nothing else, watch the special for this. Okay. Now, we're going to... But what I don't understand in the story of how we're accessing this... I got no answer for you. That's that's what I had, like, the big... That's kind of what took me out of it. Like, when I was just watching the animation, I was like, this makes... This is brilliant. This is exactly the Star Wars world that we have come to love, you know, and it's perfect. But getting there is where Lumpy is just watching this thing and it's... It, it, it doesn't make be, any sense. It doesn't make sense because it is propaganda. It yes. is very rebels forward. I mean, it, and I think Lumpy knows this because the second that he like cries because in the animation his father is at risk, he knows that he's in trouble and immediately knows to churn, to change the channel to something else because the Imperials, the Imperials are, watching. are watching. Yeah, it, it's, so, like, in that case, it's also, like, it's it's weirdly appropriate and then weirdly inappropriate at the same time. Okay. Let's talk about the Imperials. Because in this scene, the Imperials are in the house. They're ransacking the house. And this is what the, it does it better than any other Star Wars bits ever. I think it's better than the way they portray the Empire uh, in Rebels and in the Clone Wars. Because... It felt like this is a very adult scene. And you've got to take a look again at the time when this was released. You've got a generation of people that, like 40 years earlier, were fighting in the Second World War, who less than a decade earlier were fighting in the Vietnam War. The idea of violence and warfare is very fresh in people's minds. And you've got the Imperials come into this house and then they start bossing everyone around. Like, 
very menacingly. Like, there's, I think there's really strong racial undertones that are being played here I, with, like, the civil rights, legitimately. I, I don't disagree with you. I think that's why it's, it is so scary. It's not, it's also because these people haven't chosen to fight. So, they, as opposed to everything else in Star Wars. Yes. These are just civilians. You know, in the scene in The Last Jedi, when they go to the casino world, I know. They go to the casino world and they try and do this big anti-war statement about there's only one thing that makes people this rich, war. And it's like, I get what you're going for, but they didn't stick the landing on this. This is an example of what happens to a civilian population during an armed conflict. They're treated as fodder. When they don't have wealth to protect them. Exactly. Because I think that's the biggest difference. Yes, totally. And so they come in and... They're going into a kid's room, tearing his toys apart to look for contraband. And it's really just a power play to say, I can do this. And that's on the nose because one of the Imperial officers says, well, you better keep that kid in line because I can't control my guys all the time. And it's just... It's so dark, and it brings it to the forefront immediately. And to be fair, I think it is. I I do think that what is the most, as much as we love Star Wars as you know, like a really fun movie to watch, and because it's got droids and it's merchandise and it's like it's become this thing that's bigger than anything. The one. the special, the brutal, horrible Christmas special, is the only one that actually sticks the landing. That this is. War, yeah, it's an actual war as opposed to hey pew pew, this is fun yeah. stuff like you know whatever you just go through and like vroom vroom like you know whatever all like the the silliness they that blow is, up the, Alderaan and you're like yeah yeah like that that it, it in a way it's kind of it makes it very real and yes. tangible and so I will I will give you the point that the Christmas special is fantastic at actually bringing yeah war home totally to roost for Christmas. Exactly. As it's a terrifying. present. Yeah. Have yourself a merry little Christmas. Now I want to skip forward to, uh, I th- is this your favorite part? Or is it the animated your favorite the part? The animated and then B. Arthur. B. Arthur. B. Arthur. And you know what? If I could cast, if I could like chain, fold time into itself and create a whole alternate like reality how wonderful would it have been to have B. Arthur as Princess Leia's mother? In some way, like I know this is not like canon, whatever, whatever, whatever. But like, so if, Anakin Skywalker gets with B. Arthur, young B. Arthur. Yes. That- oh my God! <laughs> Could you not imagine how amazing that would have been? Christensen. No, and B. not Arthur. him. Ew, no, not him. Okay. But like, how magical would it have been to be able to have a scene where B. Arthur is a maternal? strong, you know, queen. Yeah. Doesn't have to be Padme. Doesn't have to be like queen whatever. Queen with a KW. Yeah. No. Okay. No. All like right, an right, actual right. like monarch because Princess okay. Leia is a monarch mm-hmm. even though she then becomes, you know, whatever. And her together, they have a very similar approach to these women in this world. Like they're very strong. They're completely... Uh, you know, have ownership of what they're doing. They have drive. It would be lovely. And also, they're both kind of sassy. Yeah. When she's the sassy bartender, because you're like, <laughs> I love your train of thought on this oh, leading yeah. up to a question. I mean, he's a stalker. B. Arthur is being sexually harassed at work. Like, she served him a drink and now he's in love with her. He's delusional. And I'm I can, wor- it, literally, that's what happens. So, she, so like, I'll set, I'll, I'll, actually, I can go through this. Go, I'll set go the on, seat. Because this on. is my favorite Lay it seat. Down. Go on. So, B. Arthur basically is bartending mm-hmm. at a cantina because there's the cantina band is in it. So, and immediately, it's, amazing. Yes, it's actually, that is the actual set from the movie with all the same aliens, by the way. Yeah. All of the same aliens. So it's wonderful. Mm-hmm. So you've got the cantina, which you know, and B. Arthur is basically bartending. And who comes in? Who is this man? Harvey Corman, who's this is his third role now because right. he's the cook in the show, he's the communicator robot guy, and now he's the dude in the bar. Right. So yes. he comes in and basically is professing his love. To be Arthur. Yes. And which be, is weird. It's but they, very weird. It comes into context at the end, though. Mm, I don't know. I think that. it does. I think that is an outdated trope, but it whatever. Is, it, oh, 100% is. But at the time, so he shows up and tells her that he is in love with her because she had told him, you know, 
I'll see you next time. Good night. Good night. I'll come back again. It's something like that. Like something very like like obviously a part of her job. But he doesn't realize that. That's the problem. But then he realizes it at the end. At the end, he realizes it. No, he realizes it in like almost immediately when she shuts him down. But then she says it to another guy. Oh, he brings her a flower. Yeah, Yeah. she's like, "Here's a drink. I'll see you in a minute." That's what you always do when somebody's professing their love. You get them liquored up. It always smooths it over. If you're working yeah, and someone's coming on to you, you're like, I just need to give you a drink. Another so Mandalorian nod, by the way. What did she serve him? Spotchka. That's what she serves him. Another nod to the Mandalorian. I I said in the Mandalorian episode, I think that the holiday special has played a big role in Star Wars and people don't realize it. Go on. Sorry, I cut you off. No, no, it's totally Spotchka, fine. though. Yeah, Neon so basically. <laughs> Regardless, it just it felt very predatory, yes. at least at the beginning, when it, yeah. when he's very much like, I am in love with you. I really like you've given me all these signs. And B. Arthur is just basically, no, no. I'm working. Yeah, it I it felt predatory at the beginning and then it felt sad at the end. I felt like not like I didn't feel I felt bad for him that he's that clueless and not that him and B. Arthur don't. But aside end up from married. that, I think what's great about the B. Arthur scene, she, other than the fact that she's absolutely amazing, is that this is another example of where war comes home. Yeah. Because war, the Empire tells them to shut it down. There is, you know, th- there is a curfew and everyone needs to be home. Which yep. again, you never see in Star Wars after that or before that. Their curfew is something that is very much a way of controlling people and making them, you know, showing the power of the empire. And the thing is, is she tries to kick everyone out, but no one will leave. Because of the cantina. Because of the cantina. They don't want to leave. But then she's left in the position where I'm the one holding the bag if you guys don't get the hell out of here. Um, and then sings a beautiful kind of goodbye song. Is and it beautiful? Jesus. It's pr- so it's only good because it's B. Arthur. It's yeah, terrible, true. but but you, she's great in it. You do you, and you, it feels really sad. Like it feels very again poignant that this is something that she doesn't want to do, but this is the only way to get these people out of her. You know bar so she doesn't get in trouble by the, with Empire. And then you say you want to imagine a world where B. Arthur is an undercover agent for the Resistance and I'm all in. Yeah, this is what I'm saying. This is this is my imaginary world yeah. where Leia and her get to share screen. Okay, it's... it's I, I will say that I 100% agree that B. Arthur is like a shining light in this special. I think her and Art Carney are the best things in terms of character players. And that's because they're both very talented I mean, Art Carney just is does what he does, which yeah. is carries sketches and moves plot forward yeah. via sketch. Well, like, B. Arthur felt even she's in a very small scene, but she felt like a fully formed character. Like I, she came in yeah. and knew who that character was no, and was I, completely method. Art Carney was the guy working in the store in the shop. The, he's the rebel agent. Like he's working for it. I think he's great. I love it, and he's got the fake ID, and he's got all that. Yeah, but he's shtick. He's he is like shtick. he's shtick. Well, he, this is what I'm saying. Like he's shticky, and he's great for a show that does sketches. But, so he's a sketch character. Meantime, B. Arthur felt like a fully like I could imagine a world outside, like what she was doing before and after the scene. B. Arthur. Means B. Arthur. Space immortal goes to Florida, moves into a human retirement community. That's the future for her character. Bless her. I Bless would. her. <laughs> All right. So uh, what do we got here? The Life Day Ceremony is confusing as hell. Oh, yeah. This is, the, this is supposed to be the payoff. Yeah. So like now we're basically after B. Arthur, who says goodbye, and then we have um, like a very, very fast, hey, the bad guys are gone. Here's Han. Oh, okay. <laughs> How the bad? There's one stormtrooper remaining in the house, and... They literally throw him off the balcony. The same balcony. The same balcony that Lumpy had just been doing balance beam on. Yeah. So like they throw this guy off the side and then they're like, well, problem solved. There is a dead body underneath the front door of your house in Imperial Stormtrooper armor, and you're gonna say that you're not gonna get but they don't do anything no, about there's, it. There's like that weird call back and forth where they pretend to be the person. Yes. Okay, no. no they, that's Art Carney. Art he's Carney got, does it. He's, he's got his... He's the agent, the rebel agent. He's got agent. the agent. So he says, he goes, oh, he said he was really mad and he ransacked the house and then took off and they're like, well, he I guess... He ran for the hills. I guess, I guess we'll look for him. It's like, you won't have to because he's right under the front step. You're all busted. But that's what Art Carney says. Art Carney's like, 
like he ran for the hills. Yeah. And, like, the empire, which had been absolutely terrifying actually, up until that point. You need to remember, though, the hills is actually a planet in Star Wars canon. I just thought it was. Uh, it's not. I was just making a TV joke. Show. You were supposed to say, is it? And I was going to go, no, it's not. Well, I was going to say it was just a TV show with uh, Brody Jenner. Oh, that is a great show. <laughs> Man, I wonder if there were any stormtroopers in it. That could be a sudden nod to the holiday special as well. But yes, 41 years later. The special still doesn't make any sense, but I will argue that it is way better than people say it is. It's way more important. Huge role. I think it's a lot more. I think if you take it with an analytical eye, it is very important in the you know the fact that it does bring war home. Yes. And it's got that great, absolutely incredible animated scene. Oh, worth it. Worth it just for that. But, you know, just skip. Just yeah. be, like, be liberal with your skipping. Yes, skip away. So thank you to everyone for listening and thank you to Dila for joining us and participating in the foolery that is this show. But on this magical holiday special, I will leave you with yet another Issue Zero recommends. Here it is. Don't be shitty. Don't be mean. Just be nice. This is a rough season for a lot of people. Not everyone had a great childhood or has a lot of family and friends that they even want to see. So just be nice to everyone, okay? That's really what the holiday season is all about. I mean, the Wookiee life tree is a metaphor. Seriously, think about it. And on a personal level, Merry Christmas to you from me. Have a great one.